The Civil Engineering Podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network, which can be found at cement.media. That's cement, C-E-M-E-N-T dot media. Welcome to episode number 203 of the Civil Engineering Podcast, the first podcast dedicated to helping civil engineering professionals succeed in work and life. How can civil engineers use BIM more effectively in their projects? I'm your host, Anthony Fasano, and in this episode of the Civil Engineering Podcast, I will be talking with Dustin Williams, CEO and co-founder of Remote Optics and founder of Flywheel AEC, a technology solutions provider for architectural, engineering, and construction projects. We'll be talking to Dustin about BIM and how it's used in civil engineering projects effectively and specifically the four-step process that his company uses to ensure this process is successful. Before we jump in, I'd like to recognize our sponsor for this episode, PPI, a leader in engineering exam prep for the FENPE exams. PPI's reputation and history sets them apart. PPI has helped engineers achieve their licensing goals since 1975. Their courses and review materials are based on decades of experience. They schedule their courses over two to three months to ensure you can properly retain information and allow enough time for homework. They ensure students don't have to cram for their exam. Their courses come with everything you need. They offer robust programs with access to lectures, forums, learning hub, books, slides, and more. Their programs place a big emphasis on homework. They believe that practicing as much as possible is crucial to exam success. PPI's instructors are very highly rated on student surveys. They are extremely attentive and knowledgeable. Check out PPI today at ppi2pass.com to see all the options available for FE and PE exam prep. Again, that's PPI, the number two, P-A-S-S dot com. I also want to mention we've been doing a lot of work at EMI building custom PM training programs for civil consulting firms. Does your firm have a solid PM training program? Likely not. If not, connect them with us We'll talk to your learning or HR team, and we will take them through our three-step process to building and delivering customized PM training for your firm. To check it out, give us a call at 800-920-4007. That's 800-920-4007. Or visit our website at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org and just click on the contact button, and we can help you build a PM development program that works. All right, let's jump into today's episode. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. All right, now I'd like to welcome our guest on to today's episode. Dustin Williams is the CEO and founder of Flywheel. Dustin, welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Thanks for having me, Anthony. Dustin, before we dive in here and talk a little bit about BIM and some of its applications in the civil engineering world, Tell our listeners a little bit more about kind of yourself, your background, how you got to doing what you do today. I went to school for product engineering. And when I got out of school, there weren't a lot of jobs for that. So I went straight into civil engineering. I was lucky enough to have some really great mentors early on. And they really showed me all the interesting things that I really love about the civil engineering industry. So I spent 10 years, 11 years doing civil engineering and land surveying. And towards the end of that, I was doing a lot of innovative type of uh, software integration and things like that. I'm also 
hardware integrations for like laser scanners and things like that. So then I started my own company, Flywheel AEC, uh, six years ago, and I've been doing that ever since. That's obviously a big leap to take, you know, working as a, in the civil engineering field and then decide to go out on your own, you know, start your own business where you work with BIM and reality capture solutions for the civil world, which is great. Talk to me a little bit about that transition process. You know, what drove you to make, take that step to start that business? What was it that kind of got you into that? Because that, that was obviously a bit of risk in your career. It was a little bit of a scary moment. I really enjoyed it. Again, I had a lot of great mentors along the way. They, I was able to see like the contractual process and all the things that go into being a business owner, except for maybe the accounting side of things, which I had to go ahead and learn. I've always wanted to start a business, but I also felt like it was super important to learn, have a really good base of knowledge. And so that's why I spent 10 years digging deep in civil engineering and land surveying. I've always thought that we were a little bit of a laggard in our industry compared to others, partly because of I was doing a lot of like product design in college and the software just itself was one more advanced. And so were the processes for like manufacturing. And that's something that construction and civil engineering are just starting to really touch on those offsite manufacturing and things like that. You saw a need in the industry for this kind of technology in the civil world, and you felt that the civil world was a little bit lagging in with the technologies, which provided like an opening for you to start the business. Absolutely an opening. We got to implement it on some projects that I, at the civil engineering company I was working at and saw a need for way more than just me spending my full time doing that. We developed the team internally and that wasn't even serving our client needs, just that. And I agree with you 100% in terms of taking the time to learn an industry, maybe before diving in from an entrepreneurial standpoint. I mean, what we do at the Engineering Management Institute in terms of our corporate training, we work with a lot of civil firms building like PM trainings and things of that nature. And I feel like there's no way I would be able to build these programs out the right way without understanding kind of the needs of the participants that are going to go through the program since I was there at one stage in my career. So that is absolutely, I think, a very beneficial path. And I know from my experience, it will make it easier to grow a business when you know, essentially, you were one of the customers at one point in your career. So you understand the different pain points and the needs. So with that, Dustin, let's kind of dive in a little bit. Of course, some of our listeners are probably really know what BIM is. They know how to use it. Some of them probably aren't familiar with it, probably heard about it. Just starting off by talking about BIM, some of its capabilities and how it can be helpful in the civil world. How it relates to the civil world is unique, but I will also say that I think that a lot of civil engineers have a jump start in understanding it, even if they haven't been exposed to it, partially because like GIS is so prevalent and it's a very similar thought process as far as taking lots of really great data sets, embedding those data sets with information. I think the thing that gets lost a lot of times in BIM is it's not just a 3D model. It is, there is a big component of BIM that is the 3D digital representation of the design, but also the fact that you are going to embed a lot of information into that. And what that might mean for civil engineering is a lot different than maybe like, so the building. So things like all your conveyance calculations, that stuff is naturally stored inside of civil 3D or or similar programs. And when exporting that, we can convey that to the entire project team at large. So BIM is broadly as a process. And if we are taking our design and then we're transitioning it into construction, 
it's a, a coordination process for initially there's a level of development that is referred to LOD and the design is a lower level of development, just like you have maybe your schematic plans and then you develop that design and that documentation over time until you have your issue for construction set. It's similar with the modeling and that you're developing that model over time. And then when it gets handed over to maybe the trade contractor who's actually going to build it, assuming that's like a design uh, bid build kind of situation, it this whole process kind of changes depending on the type of contract. But traditionally, you're going to leave that design model behind and model it at a higher level of detail with very specific materials and all of site constraints. And then you bring that your model as your trade along with all the other trades and you coordinate around that composite model. The benefits of it are really, you can build it virtually before you go out and build it in a field. So in this world right now, the construction schedules are very condensed in a lot of different projects. You can hit those timelines a lot easier. A lot less issues in the field, people standing around waiting for RFI responses, things like that. There's a lot of different types of efficiencies to doing that process. And it really lends itself to things that are heavy civil. Uh, not every project is a heavy civil project, but we're working on a bunch of data centers right now, tons of underground utilities, coordinating those with Earthwork. You know, Earthwork's usually a smaller component, but um, campus-type projects, we've done a lot of those where there's central utility plants, which also have a lot of underground utilities. The final piece, I think, to the BIM process would be you hand over that BIM and it gets used as an as-built for the operations phase, which is really what like two-thirds of the project total lifetime cost of a project is operating that facility. And everything that's buried, it's a lot easier. It's maybe not as expensive as the HVAC, but it's also buried and you don't know where it is a lot of times. So there's a lot of things that can help there. You mentioned some underground, you mentioned some larger projects like universities, campuses, et cetera. You made a good comparison like GIS where you have like large swaths of land and things of that nature and you have a lot of data. Is BIM like specific to the building or it sounds like you could also get around the building into utilities and things of that nature too. Is that right? Yes, it absolutely can include the site work component. So grading, paving, underground utilities, all that type of work. So I think what a good thing to do here, Dustin, just for some of our listeners who could benefit from using BIM more effectively or using it at all, some of them may not be yet, because I do talk to a lot of civil firms and I think some of them are there, some of them aren't. Sometimes, like you said earlier on, they try to do it on their own to some degree and can to some degree, but you know, like anything else, it's you need experts and you need to make sure you're doing this stuff the right way. And it is one of those tools, in my opinion, that when you invest in it, if you make a construction project schedule faster, that's big money if you're making it faster for your client and you always want to give your client obviously the most value. So if someone was working on large civil site that maybe included, could be condos or something that could have a bunch of utilities, utility centers, parking lots, stormwater drainage, et cetera, and they reached out to you to have you help them with the BIM, take us a little bit through the process that you might walk through to help on that project, just so like our listeners could understand how it could actually be utilized. If we're brought in early on with like a developer or architect or somebody like that, or a lead civil, we really want to go over the project goals and then the unique project constraints. So on different types of situations, we had one project in California, we have to deal with what they call bay mud. So there's a huge underground structural component 
So everything's on podiums and things like that. Something unique to that project. And so being able to coordinate around all the utilities around that structural component, staying out of areas of influence and things like that. So like what's unique to the project? What are the project aspirations? That helps lead us through the initial, like, why are we doing it to begin with? I know that you have a specific process you use. We talked about it a little bit offline, like kind of a four-step process to go through. And it sounds like that's the first step, which is really exploring the site, exploring any issues, understanding the underlying goals of the project. I'm glad you said that because I think sometimes people would think like you can call Dustin, he'll just plug your project into a program and spit something out. Like there's, It's a little bit more involved in that. So that's your first step of really understanding everything going on. Once you've done that, what's next? Sure. Then we getting the feedback from the owner or the project team itself will create a, what we think is a really good path forward. Depends on the savviness of the project team. We may have some BIM documents already. They might be very heavy on specifications for the building side. And then we fill in, if there's a big civil component, we'll fill in. Those are usually, that specification is really light on the civil work. You can't just copy paste the architectural spec to the civil spec as far as like BIM implementation plans. So we'll develop that and whatever is best for the project. So we'll kind of define LOD. We don't want to overdevelop. It can cost a lot of money to do an LOD 400 way too early in a project. Or does it make more sense just to do an LOD 200, which is a vastly different process? And within those BIM implementation kind of guidelines, it'll define what the expectations are from the design team and then what you're kind of handing off or the level of effort going through the BIM process. So will there be coordination meetings all along the way with the whole design team attending? Um, That's really common is these virtual coordination meetings. And the coordination meeting is all revolving around the federated model, which is all the models composite together. As far as the design process is concerned, a lot of big hiccups can be sorted out very early on in the process because of utilizing that 3D model. And a lot of design changes happen early on in, in design development and early phases like that. And we've just seen that it's so quick to be able to meet on this recurring schedule, usually like a weekly or biweekly kind of schedule with all the other team members. The amount of communication is so much better rather than the the architect just shoving a whole bunch of new PDFs in in your box folder and you have to decipher what the new things are. The conversations are happening a lot more freely with like, what can you expect to be coming next? Or maybe here's a preview of the model and it's so easy to visually see that model and understand what's going on really quickly and how that affects you as the civil engineer because you're usually reacting to someone else. So your first step is you kind of analyze the site, you do collection maybe of some data, you see what's available to you. And then for the second step, you are kind of developing the strategy that you're going to use on this site based on all the information and the data that you have, putting together a game plan for how you're going to utilize the BIM. With that third step, it sounds like you're really getting into the workflow of how you're going to work back and forth with the design teams, the contractors, the meetings, what's that going to look like? And I would imagine that in that step, like you said, that's really critical in making sure that you are communicating, I guess, the right amount with the right parties to make sure that this all gets done the right way. Absolutely. 
one of the other pieces to the BIM implementation that we like to add to, we were very heavy in the reality capture component. So maybe, you know, all projects usually have a topographic survey or an existing condition survey. And we like to take that a next step further, especially when there's this type, this level of coordination happening in 3D models that it can be super beneficial to have something where you have a full 3D existing editions, whether that's from drone LIDAR, or there's different options for how you might capture that terrestrial laser scanners. There's a whole host of things and it, it's growing quickly in that space as well. Dustin, for those that don't aren't familiar with reality capture, essentially that is taking one of the programs, like one of the tools, like the, the drone LIDAR, like you mentioned, and using it to kind of almost in a sense, take pictures of the site and then bring in all data points, you can create that 3D model. Is that right? That's absolutely right. For the civil engineers and land surveyors, it's really common to go maybe get an aerial, order an aerial survey from a, a plane company. You can choose whether you want to do photogrammetry or LIDAR. Just, there's different sensors you can use to help develop that three-dimensional model. Photogrammetry being nothing but images and then creating, developing a 3D model from stitching those images together, essentially. And then the LIDAR is obviously shooting out pulses of LIDAR to measure the distance to the ground. And that creates a point cloud deliverable. And all those deliverables can be also, you can extract out if you don't have a topographic survey, you can just use those deliverables to extract out what you would typically expect the two-dimensional uh, line work and points that you would use for that existing conditions survey. I was working once with an, an engineering company that was hired because a contractor had to paint the inside of the Statue of Liberty and they needed to do an estimate. They needed to get quant like an estimate of how big it was. And so they brought in and they did like a 3D I guess they had to use one of these tools and do a reality capture. It was interesting. So it can be used in a lot of different ways for sure. But I think one thing to take away so far from this process that Dustin's walking us through here is whether you have department internally within your company that does BIM and reality capture or you're working with someone like Dustin, it's important that strategy piece sounds important to understand what's going to go into your modeling. You know, Are you going to use BIM? Are you going to use reality capture? What's that going to look like? Having a good strategy. And then that third step, really understanding the workflow, how are you going to work with that other party throughout the project to make it successful? And then assuming all goes well and everything is successful with the workflow and you're working back and forth on the project, talk to us kind of about the last piece of the puzzle here, which would be kind of your implementing and supporting for the long term. How does that look, Dustin? Sometimes we will actually come in and support the design team and then continue on through construction and support the trade contractor. So what we'll do is either take the implementation plan developed by someone else, or maybe we have a hand in it. And we're assisting with the BIM coordination meeting. We're helping make sure all the files are uploaded to, you know, the common data environment where the rest of the design team is expecting them or the coordination team at the contractor side of things, making sure that people are attending and understanding what maybe some of the comments in the meeting, like what impact do they have on the people we're assisting? So the civil engineers, how does what happened in that meeting, you know, affect what you need to do in your design? How can we create some exhibits or different types of temporary models to explain and do some storytelling? One of the things that I've always liked about BIM is that I've been able to tell a story visually very quickly, as opposed to trying to do some sort of like either a narrative or 
two-dimensional exhibit, it can be tough for non, especially non-civil people to really grasp what you're trying to convey in something like that. If it's you're trying to coordinate around a, a particular issue. The support piece can be anything from we completely do all the detailing and some of the drafting and you come in and put your notes on the plan all the way to just we'll assist you through the process. Make sure your file, you know where you're supposed to upload the files and when, what the coordination meetings will look like. What does it really mean from that specification that you need to deliver contractually even for to go into that construction phase? All the pieces of the implementation plan and how it all fits together. One of the goals of this podcast is always to help civil engineering professionals become as well-rounded as possible. And so that's why we invited Dustin on today, because I think it's important for you to understand BIM, regardless of the size of company you work at right now or the projects you're working on. At some point in your career, you're going to come across BIM on one of your projects. Maybe you've worked on it a lot on some of your projects. And so the more I think educated you can be on the topic is only beneficial to you. And then you can kind of pass that value you know, onto your clients and just being able to have conversations with them around that could be beneficial. So just to kind of wrap up on the BIM side of it here, for those professionals out there that want to maybe learn a little bit about BIM or just keep up to date on what's going on, are there good sources, websites, or any tools that they can read about it or just keep up on what's happening? If you wanted to do a little bit deeper dive by reading, I would say Penn State has a lot of really great information. They put out some BIM execution plans but they also do it in a very scholarly way where they're explaining why in great detail, why they're doing what they're doing. They actually renovated and built some part of their campuses and, and applied those techniques that they were developing along the way. So there's a lot of really great information there. Just kind of staying current with things. There's something called the Construction Progress Coalition. There's a lot of really great folks in there. It's a nonprofit. I'm a member of it. And it's a pretty tight-knit group of people. Just despite its name, it's to help the entire AEC industry, not just the construction component. They're really at the forefront of trying to pull in the standards we already have and then kind of put them all together and create a little bit more cohesiveness around some of these complex topics. Is there any conferences or shows that you go to related to these technologies that you could mention? Autodesk University has a ton of different options, uh, lots of different classes around a lot of different subjects. Autodesk, okay. Yeah, Autodesk University. There's a few. Built Worlds also. But I think Autodesk University probably the better of the options for more of the design end of things. And we'll put a list together, of course, in the show notes for you from what Dustin has spoken about today so you can kind of run through some of those. And, you know, again, you may not need to build a lot of expertise in BIM, but just having some knowledge around it, being able to talk about it, I think can be beneficial. I'm sure there are some listeners that do get very into the details of it. So we're happy to have Dustin along here to talk about that. So we're going to take a break real quickly. And then before we let Dustin go, we're going to ask him a couple of career-related questions on the Civil Engineering Hot Seat. We'll be right back. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. All right. I'm back with our guest for today, Dustin Williams. Dustin's the CEO and founder of Flywheel. We've talked a lot about BIM, the BIM process, a successful process for your civil projects. But now we're going to talk about some career-related strategies and questions, and we're going to put Dustin on the civil engineering hot seat. Ready, Dustin? I'm ready. All right. So do you have any specific rituals that you practice every day? For example, do you have a specific morning routine or a lunchtime routine or just something that you do consistently that has contributed to your success? 
I try to get up early. I personally drink a lot of coffee and I try to get in a little bit before everybody else is in the office, get my head around what I have to do that, that day. And then I try to tackle the hardest problem first. I really think getting that one out of the way is, helps me stay efficient and not let things slip. What is one book that you might recommend? It doesn't have to be engineers, just professionals in general, or just a book that maybe you found to be helpful in your personal or professional development if you have one that stands out? You know, I started out as a draftsman and I moved all the way up in the project you know, management and senior management. One of the things I really had to learn along the way was leadership. And one of the books that really resonated with me was Jocko Willink's Extreme Ownership. I like to, let's be honest, listen to a lot of Audible books and mostly around business and professional development. And I just try to take the, the nuggets that really resonate with me from those. We do a lot of storytelling in the design side of things, and the storytelling kinds of books are really helpful in that sense. Two more questions here, Dustin. If you think back on some of the managers that you've had in the past, kind of coming up through your engineering career, and you were to think about your favorite manager or managers, and you don't need to name anyone, but what made them your favorite? Who were your best managers? Why were they your best? Like We're trying to understand what makes people in the civil engineering world really good managers. I think it's the, the mentorship component. I was lucky my first two managers were, they expected a lot of me and they were willing to help me grow. And they spent a lot of one-on-one or, or even, you know, grouped in with other peers time explaining how to do something, but also why we're doing it and really showed us how that fit into the full project life cycle. I couldn't say more about those two first managers I had. All right. I've got one final question for you, Dustin. We call it the civil engineering career elevator advice question. So if you got into an elevator with a civil engineer and you had about 30 to 40 seconds with them, what career advice would you give them You know, based on your career path so far? There's so many different avenues you can take in civil engineering. And I think you really want to find what you makes you passionate or what area makes you passionate. I tended to try to have a really rounded career. I realized that it was very helpful to have that base, but then narrowing my focus down to some of the more innovative technologies and things like that and teaching people. That was really what I was passionate about. And that's when things really started getting interesting for me. And I think it's great advice. I know in the world of civil engineering, there are a million different directions you could go. And it's a good idea not to get kind of married to one of those early on in your career, you know, try different things. I know for me, I started doing some structural engineering. I did some geotechnical. I ended up landing in the site civil design world, which I loved and I stayed there for a long time, but I wouldn't have found it without, you know, trying some different things along the way. To Dustin's point, try to really explore your options early on in your career. And listen, really at any time in your career, if you're working in the civil engineering world and you feel like I'm not really interested in this anymore, I mean, there's a million other options. And based on what we're talking about today in terms of technology and BIM and other programs, there are jobs that will exist tomorrow in the world of civil engineering that don't exist today. So don't think that it's ever too late to kind of make a change or make a shift. Thank you to Dustin for coming on today. Again, Dustin Williams, CEO and founder of Flywheel. Dustin, thanks for spending some time with us on the Civil Engineering Podcast. Thank you, Anthony.
I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Dustin. I really enjoyed the part where he spoke about his career journey because I hear from a lot of engineers, especially civil engineers, that often will tell me that they're not sure what discipline to go into, they don't like their current discipline, and they want to change. And I think that Dustin's story about how he practiced in the world of civil engineering for some time and learned about it, and then he decided that he really wanted to get on the technology side of things when he saw an opportunity, and he made that transition just provides a lot of promise because it just shows you that as a civil engineering professional, there are a lot of opportunities. And like I said with Dustin, there will be jobs in the world of civil engineering tomorrow that don't exist today. And if you are younger in your career, you should try to get exposure to a lot of different disciplines in civil engineering. If you're experienced, that doesn't mean it's too late to transition. That was a big takeaway for me from my conversation with Dustin. Please remember you can find the show notes for this episode at civilengineeringpodcast.com. Look for episode number 203. You'll find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned by Dustin during this episode. And until next time, I wish you the best in all of your civil engineering career endeavors. The Civil Engineering Podcast is published by the Engineering Management Institute and is part of EMI's Civil Engineering Media and Entertainment Network. The opinions on the show are those of the hosts and guests, not their employers. For information on EMI's people and project management skills training programs for civil engineering professionals, visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org.